Well, welcome once again to our Sunday School Hour. Appreciate all of you who are tuning in, whether you are keeping up with your Sunday School class or whether you are teaching, and I pray that the Lord blesses you. This is uh, the Sunday School lesson for May the 7th, and we're going to start a series in the book of Galatians. So I would encourage you to take it, and um, as you are preparing for this, just read through the whole book. It's not really all that long, and... Um, Make sure you're familiar with the whole thing and with Paul's arguments and everything that he is presenting here because uh, Paul, as he writes this book, he's not writing this book out of joy. He's writing this book out of real concern for the churches in Galatia. It's not just one church. And so we've entitled this Galatians, Getting the Gospel Right, because this is really the, the bottom line. And... Um, I wish more people would read this book. This book had a heavy impact on Martin Luther as he launched the Reformation. This is one of the books, this and the book of Romans, that caused him to uh, realize that those who are justified live by faith. They don't uh, live by trusting in their performance or their rituals or anything like that. And Luther, as an Augustinian monk, he knew a lot about that. He knew the traditions and he knew the rituals and everything. And he also knew the corruption that was in the church at that time. And uh, Galatians is one of the books the Lord used to set him straight and to get him to understand the gospel. Uh, I can think of other people that need to read this too. I have a lot of family members that are Seventh-day Adventists. And uh, there are several things that they believe that I would disagree with. Uh, they believe that when the body dies, the soul stays in the grave with the body, and that uh, when the Lord returns, they're waiting in the grave for the advent of the Lord, and when He returns, only the righteous are going to be raised up. Well, none of that is taught in Scripture. And uh, the worst part about it is, that they believe that the way that you make yourself right with God is to obey Old Testament law. There are certain types of meat that they won't eat and uh, they will not do anything on Saturday because that's the Sabbath and they consider Sunday worship to be, uh, to quote my grandmother, the mark of the beast. And uh, that's pretty serious. Now, why would I dispute any of those kind of things? Well, because I read the book of Galatians and the same thing where Seventh-day Adventists try to kind of blend the uh, law and grace together, Christ plus works and performance and obedience to the law. That's what was going on in the churches in Galatia. Paul had gone to this area, this is a region, and... Um, these people got saved and they trusted the Lord and turned from idols to trust the true and the living God. Well, then there were some people from Jerusalem and uh, they were more interested in making Jews than they were making disciples. Jesus said, make disciples. You know, I have the same feeling today that there are some people that they are more interested in making um, white Anglo-Saxon Protestant Republicans than they are in making disciples. And uh, we've got to be careful. We can get sidetracked so easily and we can get sidetracked from the gospel. 
adding to it or taking away from it. Harry Emerson Fosdick, a Baptist pastor in Chicago in the, I think the 1920s, he was a flaming liberal and he said we needed to get away from this uh, bloody butcher shop religion. He didn't believe in the cross or the blood sacrifices or anything like that. What was he doing? He was messing with the gospel, taking away the heart of the gospel, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, Paul said, of whom I am chief. And so this is what the book of Galatians is about. Paul is straightening out these baby Christians because they weren't just wrong like the Thessalonians where they had uh, some things that were troubling them about the second coming of Christ. Well, the second coming of Christ, you, uh, uh, if you don't believe Christ is coming again, then uh, that's part of the teachings of Scripture. And uh, that, that would cause me to doubt whether you know the Lord or not. But if you think the Lord is coming back um, in a rapture uh, before the tribulation, or you think the rapture is going to take place during or after the tribulation, I'm okay with that because we're looking at that and we're piecing it together and trying to figure it out. But that's not what saves you. If you uh, believe in sprinkling uh, babies, I think you're wrong. That's why I'm a Baptist and hopefully you are too. But that's not going to send you to hell. But when you start messing with the cross, when you start messing with the blood, when you start messing with the substitutionary death of Christ for our sins, then you're messing with salvation. And that's what was going on uh, that Paul is addressing in this book. They were saying, yeah, you've got to have Jesus, but you also have to go through the Jewish ritual of circumcision. And you have to keep certain feasts and different things like that and abstain from certain foods. Kind of like my Seventh-day Adventist relatives uh, try to do. Just a mixture together. And uh, one of the problems with that is, the same thing would be true if someone said to you, well, you've got to trust Christ, repent of your sins, put your faith in Christ, but you're not really saved until you're baptized. You know what happens? Paul said at one point, you are making the cross of Christ of no effect. Because... Uh, I could trust that Jesus died for me. I could trust that he paid for my sins. But until I get baptized, I'm not saved. You know what I just said? Baptism is more important, or at least equally as important as Jesus. Well, that's a problem. And that's what was going on in this church. And people were getting confused and they were falling away. Paul said, got to do something. And so under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he... Uh, writes these words. And uh, think about this before we read the text. Humans want to be strong, powerful, influential, and uh, this is a big one, self-sufficient, even when it comes to going to heaven. I did it myself. This is what I achieved. This is what I worked. I'll lay this out before God and uh, everything will be fine because I did it right and I did it well. And because of this, the gospel of grace alone by faith alone seems almost offensive to people. I'm not good enough to be accepted by God, they might say. What are you talking about? I'm better than half of the people I know or three-fourths of the people that I know. And they may even point out to somebody, well, that person is a person that goes to church just like you do, and I'm a lot better than they are. And they well may be from a human perspective. 
But God looks upon the heart, of course. And Paul affirms that salvation is not by anything done by us, but because of what was done for us by Christ, the perfect sacrifice, God himself on the cross all those years ago. And so Paul is concerned that these churches are being led astray by these so-called super-Christians okay, from Jerusalem who were mixing law with grace. And so Paul, I mean, he is coming after this with a vengeance, and he is strong on this uh, whole thing here. So first of all, will you notice that this is written by the Apostle Paul? No, uh, no surprise there. He tells us that in verses 1 and 2. Now when we think about Paul, uh, think about the irony of this. He is combating these people that are wanting to introduce Judaism and say you don't have to be just a Christian but be a super Christian by having all of these rituals and these Jewish things that are put in here. And uh, you know that's kind of where Paul came from if you'll think about it. And Paul is now contending against them where not terribly long before Paul writes this letter, he was contending against the Christians and he was the super Jew, wasn't he? He was the one that said, we've got to wipe out all these Christians so that the Jewish religion can thrive. Christianity is going to water it down. And so uh, this uh, former super Jew is withstanding those who want to make Christianity more Jewish. And it's not the idea, it's not a racial thing, like we don't want to be any of that Jew stuff. It was the idea of keeping the law was necessary for your salvation. And so they considered themselves super Christians because they kept the law in addition to Christ. Um, I want you to think about Philippians chapter 3 verse 5 and think about all of the things that Paul had to say because, I mean, he said a lot of stuff and he did a lot of stuff and he was extremely accomplished in um, everything that he did, wasn't he? And so uh, in uh, Philippians 3, 5, and also in Acts 26, verse 5, he goes through this list of all of his things and all of his accomplishments. And when he says that he was... Uh, uh, doing all of these kind of things. He did it with tremendous zeal and with tremendous diligence so that he could uh, attain everything that he could. He was a high uh, achiever, in other words. He didn't want uh, to make a C. He didn't want to make a B. He wanted to make an A. And in fact, he wanted to make the highest A in the class in everything that he did, a type A personality that we might say. So what changed Paul? Because we would actually expect Paul to be one of them. If uh, you were to tell me this is going on, these Gentiles get saved, and these Jews are coming from Jerusalem saying, hey, you're not doing enough, and you're not doing it right. Here's what you really need to do. I would have expected Paul to have joined ranks with them, but he didn't. In fact, we find in this book that uh, the apostle Peter that uh, he's the guy that had been up on the roof and he saw the animals come down and the voice said, kill and eat. And he goes, no, never. 
I've never eaten anything common or unclean. He kept a strict kosher Jewish diet. And um, what he found out was that that vision was to tell him that uh, what God calls clean, you don't have the right to call unclean. And it was speaking about Gentiles. And Peter was getting ready to go into a Gentile house and lead Gentiles, Cornelius, a Roman, to the Lord and others that were there. And uh, so we would think that Peter would be the one that said, hey, yay, Gentiles. Gentiles are saved just like the Jews. But Paul had to withstand him because Peter had a problem. And Peter, I mean, he was like all of us. He was human. He was apostle, but he was also flawed. And what did he do? He kind of played the Gentile game when he was around the Gentiles, ate the ham sandwiches and all of that. But when, he, when the Jews from Jerusalem came down, these people that Paul is talking about and contending with, then Peter kind of became one of them. You know, I can't believe those Gentiles. Aren't they nasty? Can you believe that they eat that stuff and they didn't wash their hands the right way and all of that? And so Paul withstood him to the face. Now, had you asked me, I would have assumed before reading all of this, it would have been, they would have swapped places. And I would have thought that Peter would have been the one that would say, hey, lighten up on the Gentiles. And Paul would have said, are you kidding me? They're not doing it right. And he would have been more legalistic, but it's not. And so this is amazing. And so Paul, of course, was changed by an encounter with the risen Christ in Acts chapter 9. And he saw the truth about himself and about the gospel. And Paul was not alone in understanding and being concerned about all of this. This is one of the great things about it. Paul, even though God taught him and revealed things to him, Paul always seemed to have a way of like going back to Jerusalem and bouncing it off of the apostles. In fact, I think it's in the uh, 15th chapter of Acts. They had a big council about this whole uh, thing. And uh, in fact, in that council, Peter actually does the right thing. And uh, they're talking about how the Gentiles are getting saved. And they come to the conclusion it would be wrong to add burdens, legalistic burdens on them that they said even our forefathers couldn't keep them. And that's true because when you go back to Exodus and the giving of the law, it's a constant story all the way through the Old Testament about people getting the law and breaking the law. Getting the law and breaking the law, being punished, repenting, and then breaking the law again. Something else had to be done. And that's why Jesus was sent to be the sacrifice for our sins. Now in the last part of uh, verse 2, you find our second point that this was what we call a circular letter to the, notice it's plural, churches in Galatia. Galatia was a region, okay, to the churches in, we might say, the Midwest or the churches in the South or the churches in the Northeast or something like that. Just a, a region, not a specific location in terms of where you can put an address on it and the you know, um, uh, postal people can deliver it or Amazon can drop it off and put it on a front porch. This is a letter that was written to all of them because this wasn't just a problem in one particular local church. This is a problem in the churches of Galatia. 
And they would take it and they would read it and then they would pass it on. And then they would read it and they would pass it on. And it would go from church to church to church to church, a circular letter. So um, this was something that um, they were all supposed to take note of. This is something that was, uh, they were all supposed to be conformed to the words that he wrote in here under the inspiration of the Spirit. We'll see that more as we go through the book. Now, this tells us that this was, number one, a very serious issue because eternity is at stake. If you don't get the gospel right, you don't go to heaven. That is the issue. Paul is writing now to them saying, hey, you can have disagreements on some other things, tertiary issues we call them, but this is something you have to get right and you have to preach it right and you have to believe it right and you have to share it right. And so... Uh, it also tells us that God doesn't leave room for um, various ideas about salvation and about the gospel. It's either right or it's wrong. It's either on or it's off. It's either truth or it is error. And it tells us that anything added to the gospel nullifies the gospel. And the perversion of the gospel is going to be a perpetual problem. It's not just going to be a one-time problem in one church and get it straight there and it'll never come up again. We've been fighting this battle, this Galatian battle, um, ever since the beginning of the New Testament church in the book of Acts. We've been fighting these things. Nearly every epistle that is written in the New Testament deals with these kind of issues. Some, not quite to the extent that uh, Galatians does, but almost every one mentions something about false teachers and false doctrine, false apostles, false Christs, false brothers. I mean, we've got to get this stuff right, and we've got to make sure that we understand it. And it wasn't just a problem for back then. Even now, we have people that want to twist and pervert and add to and change and dispute and deny the gospel. Now, I read a, an article that Brother Dale sent me that, uh, I mean, it was basically saying that we don't need the cross anymore. And the problem with America is we've had too much of a religion of suffering, Christ suffering, and we take up our cross and we suffer with him. And that the cross doesn't save anybody, the blood of Jesus doesn't save anybody, and that that's not what it is all about. I mean, 2,000 years after Galatians is written, we're still fighting that battle. And there are still people that are telling us it's not really true. You don't really need that. But at least in this situation, they had the courtesy to make it clear that they were heretics. I think sometimes the problem is a lot of heretics camouflage themselves and they hide behind a, a Jesus you know, T-shirt or bumper sticker or something like that. And so we assume that because they have a Bible and they quoted from the Bible and they said something nice about Jesus, that they must be right. And they may be just as off as a stopped clock. The old saying is, uh, on an, a stopped clock, it's right twice a day. Uh, it's not working, it's not doing anything, but it, it shows the right time. 
And um, that's true of, of false teachers many times as well. And some people fall for their false teaching because they go, well, they said this and that was right. And uh, so they uh, take everything they say, hook, line, and sinker. This is certainly a problem. And this is going to be a perpetual problem. We are to fight for the purity of the gospel. We are to stand up for the purity of the gospel, for the truth of the word of God. And we are to proclaim it no matter whether, well, as Paul said, in season or out of season. And sometimes the gospel is uh, in season. People want it. They're interested in it. They're hungry for it. And uh, they'll listen to it. They want to study it and understand it. But uh, other times it's out of season, like going to a, a tree that's out of season and trying to find fruit. Right? Now, number three, this thing is a clarification. You can find that in verses three and four. Because uh, we've got to make sure that the gospel is clear. I'm, I'm just not sure that a lot of people really understand the gospel. And I think for uh, in my younger days, I didn't really understand the gospel. I, I just thought the gospel meant the Romans road or pray this prayer or walk an aisle or something like that. And the gospel is so much more than that. It is the idea that as sinners, we're depraved sinners. We have a nature towards sin. We are bent towards sin. We naturally gravitate towards sin. And it means that everything we do is touched by sin, has our greasy fingerprints all over it. Did you ever, when you were a kid, uh, be out working on something? Maybe you were working on a something on a car or something like that your, or your bike or something your hands get all greasy and you go into the bathroom to wash them and you wash them but you don't wash them just real good and you uh, take them and wipe them on the towel and now the towel has greasy marks all over it that's kind of the way it is our good works our righteousness in other words what the judaizers were saying being circumcised uh, keeping the different feasts and abstaining from certain foods they, they thought that was really good and it really made them clean. But then when you look closely, you find out that there are greasy spots on the towel. It really didn't get them clean. And everything they touched had some greasy, sinful uh, fingerprints on them. And so because of that, what they were really doing was spreading error and spreading sin and, and teaching people to try to depend upon their own human ability and their ability to be good and to be acceptable to God. But the truth of the matter is, they're not, they cannot be. And so there has to be the perfect sacrifice made for us. We have total inability to do anything for ourselves that is acceptable to God. And so he did it for us. And it's this whole idea of Alien righteousness, righteousness from somewhere else and from someone else. It comes from God himself. It's not earned and it's not secured by anything that we do. And understand that grace is always undeserved. Now, I say that because 
some people will say, uh, describing someone, well, they were most gracious. What do they mean by that? Oh, the way that they acted, they acted nice, and it really blessed me that they were so gracious. Well, that doesn't work when you come to God. Grace is always the undeserved, unmerited favor of God, is the classic definition. And peace with God is the result of God's grace, giving us what we don't deserve, what we did not earn, what we do not qualify for, right? And uh, it's when we trust Christ we have peace with God. And so the death of Christ for us is the only way for us to be saved or delivered out of this present evil age. And the fourth thing that we find out in verses 4 and 5, that this is also a confirmation. And so well, when we think about the plan of God, it's perfect. It doesn't need any improvement. See, what were these people really saying? They were saying that uh, God had a good idea, but this is a better idea. They thought they were Ford. Remember that commercial? Ford has a better idea. These people, these Judaizers, we have a better idea. And they became bitter enemies of Paul everywhere he went. Now, how, how did they know about Paul? And how did they... Uh, get on the warpath against him. Well, you remember when you read in the book of Acts that everywhere Paul traveled, the very first thing he would do was hunt up a synagogue. And he would go to the synagogue and then he would reason with the people in the synagogue. And a lot of times because of his credentials, I mean, he was a Pharisee who uh, sat at the feet of Gamaliel. And maybe, you know, they'd say, we have a visiting rabbi here today. Paul, would you read from the scripture? And Paul would read from the scripture and then he would comment on it. And you can imagine what he would do if he read Isaiah chapter 53. And he would talk to them about how that has been fulfilled. Well, that riled people up and they would run him out of the synagogue. And so he would go to the Gentiles then and the reason he did that is because in Romans 1.16, it says he's not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. And then it says, to the Jew first, and then to the Greek. And so he always went to the Jew first, then to the Gentiles. And uh, that cost him a lot of trouble. And so... These Judaizers got to where they would follow Paul around and they would go everywhere that he went and then they would go into these unsuspecting Gentiles and they would act like they knew Paul and they were from Jerusalem and uh, they were from the same organization. And then they would say, now, um, I know you all are Gentiles and you don't practice circumcision. Uh, when, when, when did you do that? Boy, that must have been painful. And they would go, oh, we, we, what, no, we haven't done anything like that. Nobody told us to. What? What? Well, you do know Paul went through the rite of cir circumcision. Uh, how come you don't? Well, we didn't know we had to. And so they uh, were putting that on the people. And uh, then they would say, uh, yeah, we'll stay for lunch. Uh, I can't believe that you're eating that. Did Paul not talk to you about that either? Yeah, we're not allowed to eat that. And they would go back to Leviticus and show them something about that. And all of this kind of stuff, these people are confused. It's taking away their zeal. It's just messing everything up because confusion always does that. Have you ever noticed that? Whenever you're confused, you're paralyzed. 
You don't know what to do. You're not, you're not sure. You're uh, stopped at a stop sign, and you're not sure whether you're supposed to go north or south, and uh, you're confused about it, and uh, you're trying to find your, your map or your notes or whatever. Somebody texted you how to get there, and you don't go anywhere at that point. And so you get honked at, and you get frustrated. And uh, Paul doesn't want this to be a confusion for the people, this thing that is so incredibly rich, this thing that is so incredibly precious, this teaching that is so incredibly liberating. It delivers, it saves, it's freeing, it puts us in a right relationship with God. Now these people are, I don't know. Okay, so you can see Paul wanted it to be clarifying. Now, one of the points that he makes in this is because the gospel is perfect, it doesn't need improvement. It doesn't need anything added to it. It doesn't need anything taken away from it. It is perfect just the way it is and complete just the way it is. The plan of God is complete. It doesn't need a supplement. Um, I, I listen to... Uh, people on the radio seems like all of the conservative talk people are advertising a thing called rough greens and what they say rough greens is for your dog and it says that the kibble food that you feed your dog I know how to get paid for this shouldn't I um, it's got all of the nutrients cooked out and this stuff called rough greens it's a supplement it doesn't replace your dog's food it just adds to it and it makes it more healthy for the dog well, I think that uh, these Judaizers kind of had the idea that Paul was preaching a condensed version of salvation and leaving out the hard, leaving out the painful, leaving out those things so he could win more Gentiles and have a bigger following and increase his offerings. I think, and, and Paul even alludes to this later on, do I persuade men or am I pleasing God? And they were kind of accusing him of being a man-pleaser, playing to the Gentiles, leaving these kind of things out when everybody knew the Gentiles need to be doing this as well as the Jews do. And so understand that the plan of God gives glory to God alone. And it's not shared with us because of something we did or something that we added. Look how smart I was. God, you sure are lucky that I was smart enough to do this and to come on your team. And uh, Paul said, no, that's reprehensible to have any kind of thought like that. But the Judaizers, they were very comfortable with talking about their achievement and their accomplishments on what they did. And so in the conclusion, I've uh, got the words to a song. It came out a few years ago at Christmas by Sovereign Grace Music, Bob Coughlin. And uh, it's a takeoff on the song, O Come All Ye Faithful. Except Mr. Coughlin writes it like this. O come all you unfaithful, come weak and unstable, come know you are not alone. O come barren and waiting ones, weary of praying, Come see what your God has done. Christ is born, Christ is born, Christ is born for you. O come, bitter and broken, come with fears unspoken. Come taste of the perfect love. O come, guilty and hiding ones, 
There's no need to run. See what your God has done. He's the lamb who is, uh, was given, slain for our pardon. His promise is peace for those who believe. So come, though you have nothing, you're spiritually bankrupt. Come, he is the offering. Come, see what your God has done. And that is the essence of the gospel, taking away all of what we can do and all of what we can bring, or to put it um, in a Puritan way, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. And that's the kind of thing that ought to bring a hallelujah out of the most shy Baptist, because this is something we could never do. We never would have thought this up. This would never have been something that we invented. We would never come up with anything like this. And this is why Christianity stands alone out of all of the religions of the world. All of the other religions of the world are religions of works and performance and achievement and self-improvement and pride and glory for us. You can do it. You're almost there. You've achieved it. Look what you have gained. And that's why uh, the Apostle Paul wrote to the Ephesians, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And there's not going to be any boasting in heaven. There's not going to be anybody in heaven walking around strutting over what they've done and what they've accomplished. This is the gospel of grace. And it's not a gospel that says when you qualify, when you clean up, when you're good enough, you can come and you can get this. See, the Judaizers are saying you need to stop eating pork. You need to start worshiping on Saturday. And you need to go through the ritual of circumcision and uh, that'll show us how serious you really are and then we will welcome you in. Then we will um, accept you as a brother or a sister in the Lord. That's so different than the gospel who says, come those of you who don't measure up. Come those of you who are blessed are the poor in spirit. You're a spiritual beggar. You're bankrupt. You have nothing to offer God. That's to whom the invitation is. So come unto me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Ho, everyone is thirsty. Come and let him drink freely of the water of life. Freely. Jesus paid it all, and the gift of salvation is free, or it wouldn't be a gift, would it? So that's where we're going, and that's where we're headed and we want to get the gospel right. We want to make sure we understand it. And it centers on Christ. And it's a gift from God. I hope you've trusted in the gospel. And I hope that you are fully trusting in his grace this hour. And not anything that you've done. And if you are, then repent of that. And put your full faith and trust in Christ alone for your salvation. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Hey, thank you so much for your time and thank you for your interest and thank you for your investment in our church and in the word of God. We appreciate your prayers. We appreciate your ministry. And we just say to God, be the glory over all of this. Uh, it will bear fruit. The word of God doesn't return void. So thank you and God bless you until next time. I hope you have a great week.